This is In Conversation from Medical News Today. I'm Dr. Hilary Geit. This month, we'll be talking about how to extend your life with different types of exercise and work out whether everyday physical activity cuts it. So what sort of exercises? Does it matter if you walk briskly for five hours a week but don't do anything vigorous? Do you really need to strengthen your muscles alongside walking or swimming or running? Isn't one type of exercise enough? How do you start doing this when you're over 50? And how do you keep going over 80? But before we begin, I want to take a moment to thank you for listening. It really means a lot to me, Maria, Yaz and the entire Medical News Today team. If you like what we do, please hit the subscribe or follow button. It means you'll get a notification and won't miss out when we release future episodes. Thank you and let's get started. I'm joined on today's show by podcast regular Maria Kahoot. Hi, Maria. Hi, Hilary. How are you? Not too bad. Thank you. You? Good. Looking forward to uh, going for a brisk walk later. Lovely. Okay, let's meet our guests. My name is Eddie Brocklesby. I'm 80 years old now and I'm the oldest British woman to have done Ironman triathlons. I run the SilverFit charity promoting healthier ageing and above all a social opportunity for people to get together, have fun and do a bit of exercise too. So my name is Borja del Pozo Cruz and I'm a principal researcher in applied health sciences at the University of Cardiff. And I'm in my 40s and uh, enjoying uh, life with a two years old that keeps me super busy. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's quite interesting what what sort of exercise we all do. Eddie, what's your normal training regime? I do a bit of certainly cycling, either indoors or outdoors. I swim probably about two or three times a week. I think because I do have significant knee problems, I'm now encouraged to fast walk as opposed to running too much. So I tend to do 5K-ish most days, but would be a mixture of walking and jogging. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. And I've just completed the couch to 5K myself. But then I felt so good. I did some dancing and now I have a little problem with my knee. So I'm resting at the moment, but I'm going to start running again next week. And I've started strength training. Maria, what about you? I'm a couch potato. Um, <laughs> my exercise routine is go to the shops, get lots of groceries, carry heavy bags back home, up one flight of stairs and complain about it. That's pretty much it. Uh, I'm joking, but not really. Okay. Um, Just before we really get into sort of some of the science around this, what are people's thoughts about whether exercise is innate in our abilities, in our nature, or is it by habit training or what we're taught, the nurture? Is it nature or nurture? Eddie, let me come to you. I just love getting outdoors and getting that bit more active. I enjoy it. It's obviously better if I can do it with a few friends and talk as I go. So I don't know about the nature side of things. I didn't do anything until I was 52, 53. So it's not something, although I can compare that with my three children who are all fairly physically active and have been from the beginning or very early ages. (laughs) Borja, what do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a tough question, actually. <laughs> uh, and it's a, it's a pretty hot topic at the moment in terms of you know, scientific literature uh, growing in that regard. And apparently there's some genes that predispose you to be more active than others. And, and there's genes that predispose you to be more sedentary than others. And the same occurs with fitness itself. So, you know, some people make to be physically fit than others. That that's a means that if you cultivate a good habit and you engage in physical activity and, and exercise, you might become more resistant to genes that predispose you to be sedentary. But as human beings, there's genes that might determine what we do. Oh, Maria, what does that mean for you then? I find that very fascinating. I admit I had thought about the, oh, some people are more athletic than others side before, because I used to be this very scrawny child and I couldn't manage running from one side of the courtyard to the other. But I never thought about the genetic aspect of it. So are those genetic predispositions that might dictate whether or not somebody is likely to be active also tied to other aspects of health or not really? I'm curious. That be I don't know. You see the these two profiles coming together most of the times, but we don't know if it's because, you know, someone is less healthy because is less active or does drink or smoke and you know it doesn't move as that patient should be moving. But they might go together. Now you know, if you go that gene, I think, and that gene is very common because <laughs> we're made to be sedentary anyway, genetically speaking, right? Not in other regards. With the proper motivation environment and other determinants, we might break up that genetic predisposition to be sedentary. So it's not all about genes, it's about other stuff as well. That makes a lot of sense. Eddie, let's come back to your story. So you've told us you're the UK's oldest female triathlete and you're planning next year a race across America. Can you just reassure people that you were normal like most of us before you started doing all of this? Was this at age 49 you did your first half marathon? No, 50-something, but actually... By then, 45 years of social work, bringing up three children, I certainly didn't have time to get fit or to, you know, exercise. And then I went to watch a friend doing a half marathon up at Nottingham, where I'd been at university with my husband anyway. And it was just such a fabulous route that he was doing past the halls of residence, etc. And I came back to my husband and said, you know, I'm going to try and do a half marathon. And he said, you couldn't even run two miles into the nearest town. And I think it was that challenge that has always stuck with me, you know, to make the most of life and, you know, yes, get out and, and have a challenge too for yourself. Quite important. I have read your book, Iron Gran. It's a great a motivating story. And Maria, I fully recommend it. But uh you know, you sort of say, oh, well, I brought up three children and I worked in social work. But you did actually renovate two houses and you <laughs> describe yourself as a labourer. <laughs> so, Borja, I'll come to you. Borja, how much strength training did you get from those sort of everyday things like lifting bricks that Eddie does and Maria lifting her shopping? <laughs> how much does that count as strength training? Well, it definitely counts. I mean, probably you get a lot 
you know, from renovating a house, <laughs> I suppose. So, you know, lifting heavy things, like working with the hammer and, you know, all of that stuff. That all counts towards moving your muscles, working your muscles out. And that means health. Although some people might say there's something called the occupational physical activity paradox, which states something like, you know, physical activity at work is not as beneficial. Oh. Now, you might, might not believe that there's some science backing up that. Now, that might also be to do with the type of people that work in occupations that are more physically active. Uh, you know, people perhaps lower social economic backgrounds that they probably smoke, drink. That might explain the non-beneficial side of occupational physical activity. Probably in Eddie's case, that wasn't the case. And for her, moving the muscles, working the muscles out is definitely beneficial. And even for Maria. <laughs> even Maria. <laughs> yeah, it's good for you. Keep, keep doing that. Keep doing that. That's movement. Movement count, right? There's a new trend on incidental vigorous physical activity. I don't know if you hear about that. That means, you know, embedding physical activity of high intensity mm. in your daily routine. So both cases count and definitely it's something good for your health. We recently covered on Medical News Today a study that was speaking about precisely the same thing that Borja mentioned, which is that people in strenuous occupations have more health risks, actually. It was interesting. It was people like nurses. There was people who kind of have to go back and forth a lot. Uh, and it was that kind of strenuous physical activity, not necessarily lifting bricks, but just being on your feet all day. And I suppose also the stress related to that. I found that quite interesting because when you first said Borja, work-related exercise might not be beneficial. I thought, well, why is that? And so then I wonder, is it to do with stress? Is it to do with the fact that it doesn't provide relief from st the stress at work, like going out for a run? It's because you have to do it? It could be to do with many things. It could be to do with who you are, where you live, your health as well, as we all know. But also talking about nurses, they're well-educated people and they still get that harmfulness of being in a job that requires a lot of movement and a lot of activity. And that might be because they sustain like unhealthy levels of activity for a long time, like, you know, eight hours. And that creates stress, oxidative stress on the cells as well. So, you know, there might be a lot of inflammation. There might be a lot of factors related to that, but we don't know yet. So the evidence is obviously growing as always. We don't have a clear response as to why that might be happening, but it seems to happen. Let's come back to Eddie's story. Maria, did you want to pick up about the move to triathlons? Yeah, so if I understand correctly, by the time that you went into the first triathlon experience, you were already 57. You said you didn't like swimming at that point. So how did you go from marathons to triathlons? What was wrong with marathons, with just sticking to one thing? I remember going to a physio in London because I don't have an anterior cruciate ligament in either knee and haven't done for a long time. And him actually saying that swimming would be good and useful activity. I do think it is therapeutic. You always feel good when you get out of the swimming pool, <laughs> whether it's because you've finished swimming, <laughs> but you do feel good. I find it very therapeutic even though I have to push myself to go sometimes. 
Picking up that thing about not having anterior cruciate ligaments in both knees, and so presumably you've got osteoarthritis in your knees as well. Yeah. Borja, what goes through your mind when you hear that? Someone running marathons and triathlons without that strong ligament that holds the knee joint securely and has osteoarthritis in the knees. What goes through your mind when you hear that? Well, I mean, I, I, I couldn't do that to myself. <laughs> that is the first thing. <laughs> I mean, if you know that you've got like not so very stable knees, for the general populations, I couldn't recommend doing a marathon with osteoarthritis, obviously. But there's ways of building up. And definitely one is securing the area, which probably Dr. Eddie hasn't so with many, many years of exercise now. Probably Dr. Eddie, she's got good muscles that can support that lack of a knee stability and the osteoarthritis and so on and so forth. So probably she's okay. How does it work with your knees, Eddie, when you run? I think I know because I had them x-rayed quite recently. I'm bone on bone and I think there is an incentive to fast walk now rather than run. But I'm not in any pain which is good news, I think, too. But yes, I've always focused on strengthening my calves and my thighs and and the muscles that surround the knee. And that was advice from a surgeon 10 years ago. You know, this is a surgeon who might have had a vested interest in doing knee surgery, who actually said to me, no, you don't need surgery, you need physio, you need to focus on your strength training of your muscles around the knees. Couldn't have been fairer, could he? I mean, I find when I started, because I've got a problem with my anterior cruciate ligament and I've lost a bit of my meniscus as well. But uh, I did six weeks of strength training before I started the couch to 5K and found that running was actually almost easier. I didn't have any pain when I started the running. And I read a study showing that people who exercise with arthritis who run are less likely to end up with a joint replacement than people who don't. So there must be a real power of healing, even in the older body. Borja, have you come across those studies? Yeah, I've read quite a lot about the role of building muscles to prevent things like arthritis or any musculoskeletal related pain, really. Like, you know, building muscle is key for many things, and not only for that, but also gives you more health broadly speaking, in terms of metabolism and other body systems, as well, hormonal system, everything works together, right? <laughs> so it's, it's definitely a key thing to do, building muscles. <laughs> so, Borja, let's come to your recent paper, because we've just been talking about different types of exercise. And what your paper did is look at nearly half a million people and actually worked out what combinations gave you the best outcome. So let's break this down. Maria, do you want to pick up with the first one? Yeah, so you were talking about moderate physical activity, vigorous physical activity and muscle strengthening, right? So if we start with moderate physical activity, what counts as moderate physical activity? What What is it? So something like walking in a fast pace, that would be close to moderate. Gentle cycling as well might be a moderate activity. Something that is gentle, that doesn't, you know, it's, it's something that, for example, if you go for a walk with someone and you try to speak with that person, if you're able to speak, that may be a moderate intensity activity. But if you are unable to speak while you are walking, then that's a sign of a more vigorous intensity activity. That makes sense. Thank you. I'll just briefly ask Eddie, do you do 
moderate exercise at all or what kind of moderate physical activity do you engage in? I think I do quite a lot now of indoor cycling and that I think can be moderate and then you can push it up, sort of do speed intervals. So I think cycling is probably the best way of doing that. I'm not so good at increasing my <laughs> rapidity of swimming, I have to admit. And yes, walking. I think I sort of Googled a bit on fast walking techniques and learned quite a lot. You know, it's the power of your arms too, going out at right angles and your cadence that increases your speed in walking. And that's very true because I've had a fall, several falls, but, you know, one recent, a couple of months ago where I fractured my wrist. I'm a little bit less confident and I'm watching the surface in front of me at the moment, which is, again, a lesson learned. You know, I think I wouldn't have tripped over that root of a tree if I'd been watching a little bit more carefully where I was. <laughs> but I think I would also add linking Hillary's Heor Couch to 5K, the brilliance of Park Run, which once you've done your 5k you can then join part run you know, it's absolutely brilliant free of charge so well supported by volunteers and it doesn't matter what pace you do they are supportive i think it's absolutely great can you explain park run park run started in bushy park in england it's now global and it is a 5k run and you all start off at the same time, normally nine o'clock on a Saturday morning, wherever you are. Very well supported, a route that's been tested carefully and volunteers as you go round the 5K. And then as you finish, you're measured and a very good technical system. They notify you of how long it took you to do part run once you've downloaded your barcode each time within an hour or two of having completed it but absolutely inspirational. And at Bushy Park, there's about 1,500 people doing it every Saturday morning at nine o'clock. <laughs> so, Borja, we're talking about moderate physical activity now, which, or park run, some of that might be vigorous, but let's stick with moderate physical activity. What's actually happening, physiologically is happening in our bodies when we take on this slightly increased breathing and heart rate? Well, I'd say there's a lot of things that happens <laughs> when you move and when you move sort of uh, slightly fast, as you say, your heart rate like increase, and then that gives you increase the blood flow as well. That blood flow goes to like every single part of your body, including your brain. And that's quite beneficial for the brain and brain related diseases, so to speak, like dementia and so on and so forth. So you've got a more oxygenated brain. So you think uh, clearly and better, you feel better as well because it releases endorphins. Like that's uh, the good feeling when you finish your exercise, swimming, for example, Ellie, say so you feel good. Probably because you have finished your workout, but also because of the endorphins that you release. And it's particularly good that endorphin release levels for moderate exercise, for moderate physical activity. And there's a lot of research associating or relating like moderate exercise with depression because of that. At muscle level or musculoskeletal level, also you move your muscle, you oxygenate your muscles, you increase the good hormones in your muscles as well. The bones, if you create some impact, you make your bones stronger as well. So there's a lot of things that happen. 
And how does that differ from what happens in vigorous physical activity? So that's like heavy sweating and large increases in breathing heart rate, which Eddie's been doing kind of most of the last third of her life. What happens then in the body? So differences, I mean, like everything becomes more evident. So there's more release of probably not endorphins, like endorphins have the right level of exercise, vigorous level, you might not release as many endorphins as you do when you exercise at moderate level. And that's why that association between moderate exercise and less odds of depression or various symptoms, that's why we recommend moderate exercise or moderate physical activity. Vigorous physical activity might do all the things for you, like in terms of it improves the cardiorespiratory fitness. So it makes your heart stronger because uh, the heart in the end is a muscle. So you also need to take care of that from the exercise point of view, right? So vigorous physical activity seems to be very well placed to make your heart stronger. And that means a lot of things. That means better cardiorespiratory fitness. That means more blood flow to the brain and many other things at molecular level that I wouldn't be able to describe. But the scientific evidence is now growing in that regard. And it is now highlighting the role of more vigorous activity to prevent certain diseases and even mortality like cardiovascular disease. So, Eddie, how do you feel after you've had vigorous physical activity compared to the moderate? That's a difficult one to answer. I think you do feel good anyway after you've finished. Um, I don't think I've ever made that comparison. But it's vital, isn't it, that we get that message across, that we do age more healthily. I think what's coming out for me is that you can't just get away with some walks to the shop. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, I didn't. Oh, Maria, I'm sorry. That came out wrong. Well, I'm talking about myself as well. (laughs) You just can't get away with going up down some stairs. It, It seems you have to put a bit more time and effort into getting your heart rate up. Is that right, Bocha? Yeah, I mean, I would put this in a different way so that we can motivate like everyone instead of <laughs> saying no that's not useful because it is useful so, <laughs> now i mean at for population level i mean we have to think that you know maria is 90 uh, percent of the population right yes thank you <laughs> and, and that's the truth so doing something it's way better than none and we've got plenty of studies showing that, you know, doing something compared to nothing. Now, if you ask me, you know, what is the optimal physical activity regime, then I might say, well, do a little bit of everything. So keep yourself active throughout the day, you know, go shopping. And if you can carry on heavy stuff, good, because you are huffing and puffing anyway. So that's the sort of the vigorous part of that. But also keep moving, break your sitting time whenever you can go for works, don't drive from A to B, drive from A to B minus one, or don't drive at all, walk if you can, you know, keep yourself active, do some half and path. If you can hit the gym, well, if you can go to the park and do some, you know, push-ups or even uh, squats, anything that implies some movement to build the muscle, good. That would be sort of the optimal. But as I say before, doing something better than nothing. And from there, you can slowly build up. And it's, it's much better to build up movement and the right type of movement within your day as opposed to 
force yourself to go to the gym. If you don't like gym, don't go to the gym. <laughs> you know, build your day in a different way that includes uh, movement. Yeah, I think it's really important because your study shows us what the best is. So let's just finish that last type of exercise. Maria. Yes, I was curious about strength training that doesn't involve going to the gym and lifting weights. What sort of things can people work into their day more naturally to build that strength? There's plenty of things. Your example is a, is a perfect example. <laughs> Carry on the grocery shop bags, that's a good example. But also taking the stairs instead of the elevator, that will work out the muscles on your legs. And even, you know, you find these days, these packs with different gym equipment where you find bars and you can use those or even a bench so you can do push-ups on on the bench or even the wall like you can go against the wall and and do sort of vertical push-ups if you don't feel like comfortable doing normal uh, push-ups so is anything that create a resistance to your muscles hence is is called resistance you know training <laughs> so yeah getting out of the couch a few times a day like doing squat like rise from the couch or from a chair so there's plenty of opportunities if you are creative <laughs> Yeah, I think it's very easy to do at home. And that's what I would tend to do for sort of 10 minutes, lifting up two cans of baked beans, you know, is just that additional resistance that I think is good. And I think the other crucial thing I found is just how long I was on a computer. You know, I'd been there stationary for four hours and you think, oh, <laughs> I've got to change that one. <laughs> I remember there was a bit in your book where someone said you're overdoing it. And actually it wasn't you were overdoing the exercise, you were overdoing the computer work, the stationary bit. So Borja, can you give us a summary of what you found in terms of these combinations of three different types of activity? Just let's go for all-cause mortality. So the risk of dying from any cause, what was the optimal that we should be all aiming at? So what we found is that, first of all, you have to include some muscle strengthening activities, so at least two days per week, and that aligns very well with current physical activity guidelines from the World Health Organization. So that's one side of the story. And then we should be doing like both moderate physical activity and vigorous physical activity. And if you can include more vigorous physical activity, better. So really all three components, but more vigorous than moderate activity and including at least two days of muscle strengthening activities. So you found that people who did those two days of muscle strengthening and up to 75 minutes of moderate and 150 minutes of vigorous activity, that's quite a lot of minutes in a week, but in return, on average, they reduce their risk of dying from any cause by 50%. 50%. That's quite a lot. <laughs> but actually, the greatest improvement is someone who sits most of the day, who then adds some standing. So we're talking about that whole spread. So the message is do as much as you're comfortable with as long as you do something, basically. Right. Yeah. So, Eddie, have you got any questions for Borja? I think, um, yes, yeah, some of the stats on ageing would be really helpful because I think the cost of the ageing population is vast isn't it so how we can reduce that and get that message across i'd be grateful for advice that is the key question obviously <laughs> and it's very complex 
it requires many people from many sectors to advocate for physical activity. I'm not talking only about the healthcare sector, but also educational sector or urban planners. You know, these people are key in designing cities that are more inviting to movement, for example. You, you say before, Eddie, I'm more and more like watching the surface where I work because I might be at risk of falling again and falls has dramatic consequences for people. So health and safety, <laughs> that's a number one reason for why people do not exercise. <laughs> we need to carefully design the environment so that it's more inviting, it's safer, and then that way we can do a, a great promotion of physical activity and talk to each other, create like approaches where physical activity is embedded in many sectors that talk to each other and that are integrated so that the result is what we all want, more active people and less costs for the national health systems. And Borja, have you got any questions for Eddie? Yeah, I mean, I'm curious as to what actually made you switch from normal person uh, <laughs> to, you know, someone that decided that one day I'm going to do a marathon or whatever, because you say it was a challenge. That might be to do with your you know, mental approach to your life even. You know, some people is driven by challenges, some other people is more driven by other stuff. So what is your main driver? My husband died when he was 54 and I can remember then having a few counselling sessions and actually at that point realising that a few friends that I went out running with once a week or twice a week was more therapeutic for me. And it is about finding other people that you can share with and enjoy. I moved down to London. The Serpentine Running Club has been my salvation, really. So I think it is the social element. And we find that in Silverfit when we do quite good research, that we run sessions on cheerleading and Nordic walking and various Tai Chi activities. But when we ask people what keeps you coming, they'll all say the social element is the key factor. So I think, you know, find opportunities in your location where you can meet with other people and, and enjoy the fresh air or whatever exercise you're doing. Does that answer your question? <laughs> Indeed, it does. It's pretty amazing that both the work you do and everything you've done. Yeah. And Eddie, I'm also interested in how you keep going. I think making it fun is the word that doesn't get used enough. I think that is the great incentive, isn't it? That you are going to have fun going out and just exercising that little bit. Brilliant. Any last comments, Borja? Yeah, I mean, in terms of aging, there's a culture of ageism. You know, when doctors tell you to stop doing exercise, this is not for you because you're 65 or you're 70, you're too old. No, you're not. We need to create the right opportunities and we need to build up our day so that is more active because activity is key at any age and we have to engage if you can you know in some activity better than none and then some moderate and some half and path at any age and it's more important perhaps in in the older ages we've only got this one life haven't we and we've got to make the most of it that's a great place to end this has been so inspirational so thank you both so much for coming. Dr. Edwina Brocklesby, Eddie, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great fun. Dr. Borja del Porto Cruz, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me here. 
and Maria, thank you for joining me and being such a good sport. Thank you for having me despite everything. (laughs) And thank you for listening. Please hit that subscribe or follow button on your regular podcast platform to follow us. We'll be back again next month. I'm Dr Hilary Geit and this is a High Viz Radio production for Medical News Today.